Welcome to Mostly Nothing, the UK's original brain-expanding podcast discussing the unraveling research and understanding of consciousness, the mind and psychedelics. Let's delve deep into the vast spectrum of Mostly Nothing with today's episode where we will be focusing on the process of learning and how to efficiently do so. Uh, we will discuss the internal process types and methods for optimizing your learning. The importance for continuous learning is touched upon and how it is we can pave the way for a more fruitful understanding. If you enjoy our podcast, please make sure to share and leave a review. Our podcasts are also available on YouTube. Join us on Instagram and Twitter for backstage fun and updates. Please note, all opinions are our own and based on personal experience unless referenced or quoted otherwise. Hello everyone, we are so sorry for our silence and welcome to our next episode of Mostly Nothing where we will be speaking about the process of learning. So we had a little break um, as you can see and we are currently in self-isolation separately. <laughs> for those listening to the recording, um, yes we are attempting our first kind of online Zoom podcast uh, which is yeah, a lot of fun. It's it's working. It's working. It's not it's too working. bad. It's not the the most awful experience ever, to be honest. And here we are. We've basically decided that we won't have to see each other again. And that we can <laughs> just basically <laughs> do this. Uh, before we begin, I just want to do a quick shout out to Matt Robinson. Hope you're doing okay, man. Stay strong. Yeah, and thank you so much for all your amazing um, words. And, you know, we really appreciate it. Really. Thank you so much. So let's jump straight into this. Like we said in our introduction, in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, memory and, and learning. And the first important concept to discuss is the concept of brain plasticity or neuroplasticity, which basically refers to the capability of our brains to adapt and morph uh, given you know, different situations, different information that can then turn into new knowledge and new skills. For a long time, it was... Uh, assumed by scientists that our brain would remain pretty unchanged after childhood, especially after getting to adulthood. Uh, and, and now we know that's not the case at all. Our brains continue to change and evolve throughout our entire lives. Um, and obviously, this entire process is, is more efficient when you're a kid. But still, even after, let's say, your 25 years of life, that's, that's when they say that neuroplasticity tends to slow down. But even, even after you're 25, you can obviously still learn new things. I guess that's, that's quite obvious. Now let's break it down a little bit. Um, a memory occurring is a physical process within our brains. It's when a nerve connects to another, and this connection is also known as a synapse. Um, but a memory itself is a whole web of interconnectedness um, with thousands and thousands of nerves which are connecting um, with each other. And these synapses then become stronger or weaker depending on how often they are activated. Exactly. And, and how can we promote this and actually, let's say, make our brain create more of these connections? So they say that the main force, let's say, driving this is our attention, our focus, how we can concentrate on, on something, um, not only mentally, but obviously visually. It's this level of focus that plays uh, a very important role in encoding new memories in cortical structures. And not only that, it's what allows us to kind of suppress that feeling of 
of stress when we, we're trying to learn something really, really hard and challenging and we, we think about giving up. It's this, this constant focus in our ability to just concentrate that will allow, allow us to overcome that. Um, and the main, the, the main um, neurochemical involved is, is dopamine, which basically dopamine is the feel-good chemical. And um, it's secreted when we focus on doing things that we're not experienced with things that we find somewhat challenging. This is a chemical that will drive our motivation levels. And one thing to notice is, is obviously, the, depending on our genetics, your natural dopamine levels might be different to another person because this differs from individual to, to individual. And this, this opens a great discussion because if dopamine is that involved in our, let's say, motivation, uh, then how much of our genetics is behind that and how, how much let's say, uh, power of will we will have to, to face certain tough situations. I don't know. Science will tell, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's a, great, it's a great subject to, uh, you know, discuss, I think. It can get really deep and interesting. But let us know what you guys think. Please do, you know, give us your comments on your thoughts of this. So taking, I guess, a look into the internal process, um, we can get a greater understanding by analyzing the multi-store model which is also known as the Modal model. <laughs> um, and it was developed by Atkinson and Schifrin in 1968. Um, the structural model describes the flow between permanent storage uh, systems of memory um, and allows us to have a better, I guess, like picture of the information that goes into our sensory input. And how, how we form memories, Absolutely. basically. Um, so it all begins with the sensory input and this is basically what we encounter from our external environment with our senses. Um, and, you know, if we really think about this, it's something that's happening constantly. You know, our senses don't turn off. And it's really crazy when you start to realize um, that filter process you have in, with you, um, which is basically filtering out all the information it doesn't deem as important. And... Um, so yeah, so then it will basically do that and move into the, so we have the sensory memory, sensory register, um, which is where the information from the senses is stored, um, but only for a duration of approximately half a second before it's forgotten um, or lost and basically leaves the process. It's also modality specific, uh, for example, whichever sense is registered will match the way it's held. For instance, a taste will be held as a taste. The key now is for attention to be added. If added to the sensory information, it will then move to the short-term memory for temporary storage. Um, the short-term memory is thought to have a capacity five to nine, give or take two, um, items of um, duration of approximately 30 seconds as well. Um, and this capacity can be increased through chunking certain parts of information. This short-term memory, also called working memory now, it's, it's kind of like a, an updated definition, let's say. It's what they call this immediate and conscious processing of information produced by our senses, like you were saying. But it, it also includes the information that is recalled from the long-term memory that you're going to explain um, in, in a little bit. And this working memory, there's two types. There's the implicit and the explicit. The implicit is basically when you retain memories without even realizing, but then you can recall. So certain events like funny situations, let's say, and someone, one of your friends then asks you, uh, do you remember when this happened, when, you know, John did this or that? And, and you just remember without even knowing why do you remember that, but you know it's there. So it's automatic. And the explicit working memory, which is stored 
consciously and relates to facts and, and knowledge that we know we'll need. Absolutely. And then in order for the memory to be passed on to the next step, a rehearsal loop takes place uh, before it basically reaches this rehearsal threshold. Um, and again, if it's not repeated, it will be lost um, as information. So the rehearsal allows for the memory to pass into the long term, which is um, a storage with unlimited capacity. And this can basically last from minutes to, uh, to a lifetime, um, where it will basically transfer and retrieve continuously back and forth, strengthening these synapses and creating a stronger memory each and every time. When it comes to long-term memory, there's also different kinds of long-term memory. Um, I'm, I'm just going to talk about two of them, but there's more than two types. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is the procedural long-term memory is how you remember skills that might have taken significant effort to learn, but then become solid memories. Uh, like when you, I don't know, learning how to ride a bicycle when you're a kid. It's a skill that even if you go maybe years without riding a bicycle, I mean, that happened to me and then, you know, you pick it up again and you can do it. And one of the other types of long-term memory is the episodic long-term memory where uh, it, it's called episodic because it, it's when you remember very specific events from your past that just stay in your head for the rest of your life and this this might be something that happened you know when you were a kid it might be a meal you had or or something someone said to you there are those memories which i will always wonder there are things i remember when i was literally four years old and i can't remember what i had for breakfast yesterday so it's <laughs> it's so odd yeah you told me that yeah. you told me that you have you have very uh, vivid memories from when you were uh, a kid Right, and that's 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 quite impressive because in my case, I definitely don't remember that much from when I was a kid. Some of my toys, maybe, but th but that that well, that you can explain the things that you used to value and used to play with all the time. So I guess it's normal that I'll I'll remember that. But like specific things, it's it's very tricky for me. I think I actually realized from a, a quite a young age that my my long term memory was pretty decent. It was just my short term that. It, it's just slacking a little bit, but um, I think my long term probably makes up for it. <laughs> you can't have everything. Can't have everything. You can't have everything. Exactly. No. You need to have some more like walnuts. So just quickly jumping back to the model. So this rehearsal, transfer, retrieve are basically ways of you essentially reminding your brain of the importance of the information. And this is so key because it explains the very reason why we forget in general. And it boils down to our evolutionary development. Um, you know, in nature, organisms don't waste their energy and our brains won't store anything that it doesn't believe will contribute towards our survival. Everything we remember is basically thought to be important enough. And thus, through rehearsal, uh, transfer and retrieval, um, it allows us to kind of cement that importance. So we're basically, you know, tricking our brains in... Um, in a way, if we want to remember something. <laughs> yeah, you can remember something for, you know, your whole life and all the things that you actually, you know, want to study, let's say when you're in university at school and it just doesn't stay there. And, you, and you're like, why, why, what the hell is happening? Why can't I remember this? I just wanted to say, I'm sure my brain is 98% song lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but you know, that, that, that could be a, a good strategy to study. If you find certain words that will make you remember certain, I don't know, parts of, of the topics you're studying. Absolutely. And that's that, that basically links to activating your prior knowledge, which is another way to basically link the importance um, and remind yourself of the importance of something and trick it um, by linking it to uh, prior knowledge. And I guess, well, I guess now we can talk a bit 
about how can we actually study more effectively? How can we optimize our learning? So I, I was watching this lecture by a, a psychologist named Marty Lobdell, and he has a really great lecture on YouTube that is named How to Study. He goes through a few tips that actually make a lot of sense, or at least made a lot of sense to me from my years as a student. Um, I was listening to the lecture and I was like, yeah, if, if I had done this, <laughs> probably I would, have, I would have had better results. Because in, in the beginning of the lecture, it's actually explaining that we, we, don't, we can't really study for more than 25 minutes effectively when we're studying. After 25 minutes, our concentration and focus are just all over the place and you're not, not longer learning anything. And then we're just going to be sitting for three hours, four hours, pretending we're actually studying something. And we're not. We just—it's just a huge waste of time. Uh, so he's, he's basically—he he was explaining that you should take regular breaks. You know, every twenty or twenty-five minutes, you take a break, and maybe you go and—I don't know—eat something or uh, watch something on YouTube to entertain you that you'd like. You know, something that, that you can see as a reward. And if you continuously do this, you might be able to lengthen those periods where you you studying with appropriate attention. Uh, you're basically training your uh, your brain. And like, what would you recommend to be the um, like the time of the study break? Because it doesn't have to be that long at all, does it? You can do 25 minutes of study, and then if you pause, let's say 10 minutes, and then you go back Absolutely. to it. You do this for a week, and maybe the next week you can do, let's say, 30 or 35 minutes uh, of studying in in between in between your breaks. <laughs> Because that's, that's how usually, that's how you look at studying. It's, uh, okay, how much do I have to study in between my breaks? <laughs> but you can make these studying periods longer, definitely. Um, and, and taking those 10 to 15 minutes break. I, th I think we all know that. I think we can all know that by experience. I still find it so bizarre, though. This is something that's basically, you know, it's it, we do basically fizzle out after about 25, 30 minutes. And then it just astounds me how we have, like, lectures that go on for three hours non-stop without breaks. Blows my mind. How, how do they... <laughs> well, it depends a lot on the lecturer, too, how much he can engage with you and keep you interested. Because, well, that, that's the huge part of it. Huge part. Three hours of finance classes. There's no way <laughs> I'm absorbing anything after uh, about 25 minutes. <laughs> Going back to Marty Lobdell, there were a few more tips that he gave away for free. Which is incredible. Thank you. But he was saying things, you know, like have a study place, uh, a quiet place. Might be in your room, might be somewhere else. But don't be somewhere with other people or, you know, where someone is watching television or listening to music. Personally, I'm incapable of studying while listening to music. I know a lot of people um, tend to like that and they, they, they do that. Um, with me, just it doesn't work. It would never work. I, I, I think that's because you're a musician and, you know, you basically just hear music a bit differently. But I do agree. I can't listen to, like, songs with lyrics. But, like, frequency tunes. Goodness me, guys, if you haven't tried that, literally just YouTube, study frequency music. That stuff will put you in a zone. <laughs> I, I have to try that because that, that's the thing. I don't really listen to much instrumental music. I like, I, you know, I like lyrics. I like good singers. Also, in, in regards to the, the study place, I think if possible I know a lot of people probably don't have that opportunity especially in times like this where you know it's limited to 
be in places. Um, but I would try and keep your study place separate from your place of rest. For example, I, I don't really work well in my bedroom and I like to keep it separate. So, you know, if you do have the space in a different room or at least turn your back from your bed <laughs> because that will call your name. So I think really just try to create the separation of rest and study. I mean, personally, that helps for me. And I, I, I think that's quite useful advice you see it's different for everyone because i'm the opposite you know my quiet place is my room it's where i can actually think about things and get things done because if if i'm somewhere else you know i've always been very bad when i go to libraries i don't know i can't feel as comfortable i'm not as relaxed you know when I, when i'm in my room it's it's i can i think i can really focus but that's the thing i think you have an awesome setup and again it's something like you can't really if you're going out into the living room you know there's noise there's people and it, it's it depends on your situation carlos playing call of duty and <laughs> shouting at everyone <laughs> for dusk <laughs> You can, you can, you can study yeah, like that. Yeah. Though. So yeah, I think it just it, it's different for everyone, and it just again depends what works for you. But really, try think about it. You know, think about what works best for you. Think about those times where you have focused and where you have worked, and try recreate that. And that's stu the study lamp is a really cool idea, um, where he basically tells you to create, basically pick, have a lamp, and make that your study lamp and I, I have one I've put a little sticky note on my um, lamp which states study lamp and it's only turned on uh, for study time and then turned off when there's no study time and you're basically tricking yourself to go into this zone of concentration when this lamp is on well yeah yeah it's, it's, it's yeah apparently the results are pretty great if you follow all these things and you're conscious about it obviously you'll have better results The last thing I wanted to talk about is sleep. Sleep is the main ingredient because that's when your your brain restructures itself and it makes associations between the information you already had and the new stuff you've learned. And so if you don't sleep, if you're spending the night studying, just, you know, chugging coffee, hoping you're going to do that exam in the morning and have great results. Uh, nope, nope. Like how many people have you seen doing that? I... I Personally, I countless times I've seen people doing that. They say they come in the morning, you know, exam time, and they're like, oh my God, I didn't sleep. I studied for 10 hours. And it's literally, you, you can tell, it's like you're just fooling yourself because there's no way that you stayed awake all night drinking coffee. There's no way that you were studying effectively. And it's just, it's literally just a lie people tell to themselves. Like they tell themselves, oh, I studied 10 hours. So I, I, I get to feel good about myself because I, I put the effort. But and you did, you did. That's it's true. But it's just a waste of time. You could have studied two hours instead of ten, and probably have the same results. So sleep, get sleep. And I would say another very key tip, which I've come to really realize, is really trying to rehearse and say out loud and put into your own words what it is that you're learning. For example, if you're reading a book at the end of each chapter, if you go over what you've learned in your own words you know as Einstein said if you can't explain it simply you don't understand it well and for you to be able to bring it about in your own way and then to explain it to other people I really believe yeah it is it works for me I think it has been proven to work for the majority of people so whatever it is if you're trying to learn something you know teach it to a friend, teach it to a family member. It's a win-win situation. They're learning something and you are really making it concrete within your brain. That's something I've started doing 
very recently, even with my reading, you know, you read a book, you finish a page and you just stop and you think for a few minutes, okay, what's actually written on this page? What are the main ideas I can take from here? Now, would I explain this to someone? That exercise makes reading very slow, but it is very, very uh, efficient. I, 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 just by my own experience, I can tell. So another thing that I think most of you are probably aware or have heard about is the 10,000 hour rule, which arose from cognitive psychology um, and came through studies done in University of Florida where they were um, looking at chess grandmasters, you know, the best of the best in the world. And it basically arose that it takes 10,000 hours for about 10 years to become, um, you know, a master at something. Now, unfortunately, this... I, I truly ha believe it has kind of lost... People misunderstand this a, a lot. Absolutely. So it's gone from, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at something to 10,000 hours to become an expert and then to become good. And then it's 10,000 hours to learn something. And, you know, this is absolutely, you know, not right. It, it doesn't take 10,000 hours to, 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 to become good at something. And, and some people assume that 10,000 hours will make you the best at something or one of the best... That might not be the case because obviously there's different differences on an individual level. We don't all achieve the same, you know, level of proficiency when doing a sport or you know when even when it comes to intellectual work. So and and that's something we just have to uh, live with. But ten thousand hours will get you very far. It will will make you, like you say, a, a master. You'll be extremely good at something. Exactly. Um, but then. If you do just want to learn something, um, I came across jo Josh Kaufman. Um, he has an international bestseller on how to learn fast. And he basically came to the conclusion that it will take 20 hours, um, 40 minutes a day for a month to, to pick something up. And it's just really about being, I guess, strict and being clear about what you want. And he's, he basically explains that there's, I guess, five secret steps on how to learn something efficiently. Um, and a few of the things he mentions is that I think a great way to learn a new skill is to, to break the skill down. So for example, if you wanna learn a guitar, break the skills down because it's just not one skill. There are many skills within the process of learning to play guitar, for example, learning the chords, et cetera, et cetera. So break these skills apart and then focus on each of them individually. Another thing that he talks about is not relying on willpower because as a lot of you probably know, it's not something you know we can rely on, willpower, motivation, it, it comes, it goes, um, and we have to make it as easy for ourselves as possible. So for example, if you are looking to learn the guitar, it's going to be a lot easier for you to pick it up and play it when it's in front of you in your bedroom, you know, you can see it, right, exactly. But if it's, you know, put in a box, you know, in the attic, it's it's a lot harder for you. We have to make it easier for for ourselves. We are lazy people. <laughs> yeah, and it really and it really is that initial consistency that makes uh, a huge difference Absolutely. initial and I say because it's like the first few weeks and months when you're learning Absolutely. something it's pushing through that that pain that struggle and then you start enjoying it exactly and this is why pre-committing yourself to 20 hours is such is so key because you've said to yourself I'm going to do these 20 hours no matter what and they are the hardest and once you've you've done that it's you know it, it starts to become a lot easier you start to kind of you know create this flow but once, if you've pre-committed yourself to a certain amount, you know, you are making it easier for yourself, I believe. Much, much easier. And um, 
and we should do it. You know, we should we should all challenge ourselves and try to learn new things uh, all the time, really, because why do you have a brain for? <laughs> right? Nature gave us, and I say nature, yeah, because nature, evolution gave us this incredible tool that allowed us to basically take over. You, you know, the, the ability that humans have to adapt to all these different environments, the way we, we managed to populate every different continent on Earth with such different climates, and we still found a way of surviving and enduring, and that's, and that's all due to our capability of learning extremely quickly. And it's, it's such, we should feel so lucky to be in this position and have this amazing ability right inside our heads in between our ears and behind our eyes. Absolutely. <laughs> and it really shouldn't so be So use it. It really shouldn't. Use it. You know, I know a lot of people who once they finish their education, finish high school, finish uni, and they're, they're so relieved that basically they won't have to learn or study again. And I, I see it as such a waste. It's something that we should continuously do, continuously. It's, it's why we're here. You know, and I think learning about how to learn is um, quite ironic. <laughs> Look, for quite a while, I was so disappointed with education in general that I really didn't feel like going back to it. I really didn't. But now, a few years later, it's things change. And I really think having that intellectual challenge is it's important. It re and will make us, it will make you feel better. It will make you feel healthier and more mo motivated. You know, if, if, especially if someone going through depression learning new skills is an amazing distraction. And how lucky we are to have the access to learn pretty much absolutely anything at our fingertips, you know? There's really big, really important universities publishing entire lectures for free on YouTube. This is unprecedented. This is incredible. Like, the amount of money... Imagine just the amount of money people need to, to give away to have access to, to that privilege, to that information. And some of it, you can just find it online for free. It's incredible. So there's really no excuse. I don't think that is. Yeah. I agree. No excuse, people. <laughs> and we'll leave you with this. We'll leave you with this. Do you want to say goodbye to people? Yeah. Bye, people. Thank you so much for listening, guys. <laughs> We're so happy to be back. I'm so happy to be back. I can't wait to keep speaking to y'all please do let us know what your thoughts are if there's any topics that you want us to speak about and we'll see you next time yeah we'll see you next time thank you so much everyone everyone we people. love you so much i, I, th I think i say this every episode but it's you true do.